I was thinking like this movie kind of sucks. All right, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Theater Cleaners. Today we're going to be talking about a very influential film from way back in the day, early Russian film history. Today we're going to be talking about Battleship Potem- P- Potemkin? Potemkin? Potato Kim. P- Battleship Potato. Yep. All right, so today is Battleship Potato, a very historic film from Sergei Eisenstein. He is a film theorist and a director who has a very interesting history. Dom, why don't you take us into a little synopsis about this film and give us a brief breakdown? Um, So the brief breakdown of this movie is it centers itself on a battleship called the Potemkin. No. Yes. 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 Potemkin. Potemkin. Uh, It centers itself around that ship. And this was set in, I believe, 1905. Uh, I believe that is correct. Somewhere just before World War One, where Russia was having a lot of uh, civil upheaval and really yeah. disliked their it was, current government. It was briefly before the Russian Revolution between the Red and White Armies. Um, yeah. If anyone actually is interested in finding out some of the history of that, just reach out to the show. I have a bunch of old textbooks that take us back to placing some of these historical Russian films into the context of the geopolitical climate of the time. Definitely, that sounded a lot more educational than I thought we were getting, but we're going there. Oh, dog! This is this is the one and few that I will I will go deep dive for anyone. We are swapping roles today, and I like it. Yeah, I don't know. I feel strange. Yeah, that's fine. I like it. I don't have to think it's hard. But this movie is basically a uh, a brief look into the life of the soldiers, the sailors, not soldiers, uh, and then how they uh, cause a mutiny, and then. How they go to a random port and then the people love them because they mutinied and then the government doesn't like them because they mutinied so they murder a bunch of people and then it's kind of like the whole story. Am I missing anything? No, I mean, the film is obviously a nationalistic film. Like, yeah. any any Russian film from the early days is always going to be pro-government, pro-nationalistic, whatever, because all of the studios were owned and operated by the government. And so this film was actually ordered by the Central Executive Committee of the USSR. And that's why there's so many, like, pro-Russia, and they always say brother, because anyone who's from the fatherland is is your brother, and all of those kind of things. And it's, you know, interesting. Is that how how Russians actually talk then? Probably. Probably not. Probably not. No. And, like, dude, you do a deep dive into Russian film, like Shapev and, like, you know, some of those other ones, and it's it's all the same. It's all... Mm basically a unifying nationalistic story just tied together with different elements and like i don't know if it wasn't for the title cards in this film it it'd be very hard to uh try and follow the main storyline yeah um so what's your initial thoughts on this movie you want me to give mine first oh dude actually i'm gonna hit it i'm gonna hit it we're swapping roles today we're Go for it. we're gonna change it up a little bit let's do it no i mean my initial thoughts of the film are you know, it's Eisenstein trying to hammer home his theory of montage. And, like, as we know, the Russians are the, f- like, forefathers of montage. And what Eisenstein did is basically piggyback on the Kuleshov effect, which, for those of you who don't know, it's basically showing a shot of, like, a chair or a piano and then showing a bowl of grapes or a chair and a piano and then showing a happy baby. And it's, like, the correlation between the two creates a new meaning. A really famous version of that is the, uh, can't remember his name. But, uh, fuck, I'll come back to it when I remember it, because I 
Can't remember the director's name right now. It's not Kuleshov, is it? No. Okay, cool. It's not. Cool, because um, basically what Eisenstein did is he took Kuleshov's theory and he basically exemplified it and he broke it down into some similar terms. And basically what he breaks it down into at a at a basic level is uh, shot A is your thesis, shot B is your antithesis, and both of those together creates a new shot, shot C, which is you know, the synthesis of the two. And throughout the entire film, he just hammers that home. Like, he's trying to prove that his theory works, so he's going to show you a setup shot, he's going to show you a secondary shot, and that third shot is a new thing that creates a new meaning. And he does that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Like, this film is, you know, it's important, it's influential, and it's been ranked as, like, one of the greatest films of all time, but that was back in 58. So, like, you know, a lot has happened since then, and it's definitely gone further and further down the list but it's you know it is exemplary in its editing and all of that but without the title cards or any of that like you have no chance in following it yeah this movie doesn't really have a lot uh going on other than those couple very specific sequences that i think we are thinking about yeah maybe not everybody is but i mean if you've seen the movie you're probably thinking about those couple sequences um and are you that are you talking about part four possibly i don't know uh, maybe Odessa comes to mind for some reason. Do uh, you know what's crazy? I was thinking the same thing. Same. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I really, there's nothing memorable. F- this might be mean to say, but there's nothing memorable for this movie in terms of like entertainment other than that one part. There's a couple memorable things because it's like, wow, what the fuck did I just watch? Um, but we'll get into that later. What I w- was trying to remember, and I can't believe I remembered, I forgot his name. But Alfred Hitchcock had a very I can't I can't remember how Dude, I his name. I know it's awful. I I <laughs> was blanking because I was nervous. Uh, but that is, I know I know right. But it was what you're talking about earlier, the montage and how things can have a different meaning depending on what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock had a very famous example, at least for me and what I was taught, was where you can have a video of him smiling, and then it's a girl in a bathing suit like sun tanning, and then it's him smiling again. It's just right back and forth, and it seems creepy. Dude, that's the American Kuleshov effect. They did that as a side-by-side. I know. I I was just saying, I was saying there's another example people might know versus the Russian version. Are Are you assuming that most of our viewers have not done a deep dive on Russian film history? Possibly. That's probably good because it's pretty bad. Yeah, but then there's also another version where uh, it's the exact same sandwich of him and him with like a baby and like playing with a baby and it's like oh that's cute blah blah, blah. that's the idea of the Kuleshov effect yeah but in an American centric form uh so shout out Holly. there's that yeah and I wanted to get to it because I forgot Alfred Hitchcock's name and I really can't believe I did uh so there's that yeah you're being a little psycho right now yeah I know <laughs> Oh, bad jokes, bad jokes. Oh, you baited me into that one. Bait yeah. hotel. <laughs> oh, dude, that was that was actually a good one. That was, uh, yeah, I hate myself. Uh, so, my initial thoughts for this movie is uh, a little bit different from yours. Yours is a little more, like, academic and a little more, like, you're thinking more about the editing and, like, how you can relate it to be, like, important. I was thinking, like, this movie kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just... 
it's only an hour and 10 to 15 minutes, I believe, something like that. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, but it feels like it's three hours. Oh, dude. Um, especially for the first part. And then the middle part, you kind of get lost, like, what am I looking at? And then it kind of comes back to, like, oh, this is cool. And then it kind of, like, ends with, like, I don't even remember what the ending is. Um, but my first initial thoughts will kind of come back later, probably, I'm ta- we'll talk about. But it's, like, a Russian propaganda film, 100%. Like, there's no, like, way you don't see it as a propaganda film. It is the most obvious Communist Party Russian propaganda film that I've ever seen. There's other ones, too, that are much less obvious, like Kulavampa. It's a German, East German uh, propaganda film that's, like, communist. But it doesn't feel the same way. It's, like, an actual story that, like, you're, like, following. It is a later period, so it's a little easier to, like, I I think, like, take in and, like, watch. But it's just, like, most of the Russian, at least as what I've been exposed to, maybe it's because that's what's being taught. It's, like, they're just... They're all, like, paid for by the Russian party, so it would make sense, right? Um, But most of the Russian films that are, like, from this time period are just straight-up propaganda films. And there's stuff to be learned from them, but it's like, the stories aren't normally that interesting. You might have a different perspective on that, because you have a lot more uh, history behind that. But that was my first initial thought, is, like, this movie is, like, I can't relate to it. Um, There's some cool shots. There's not a lot of stuff going on. Um... But then I kind of looked into it a little bit, and there's some really interesting stuff uh, about, like, distribution of this movie. Oh, yeah. All over the world, and even in Russia. Yeah. Where, like, this movie was coming out, like, it was being made. Like, was it being made with Stalin? I'm not sure. I think it was just before him. Like, it was like, there's so much shit. We can get into so, it later. Sorry, not to not to go on a different tangent, but so... Russian cinema obviously has gone through a lot of different phases and it's yeah. all based on who is in charge mm-hmm. at any given point. Definitely. And uh, if you do a deep dive, you will see that like the majority of Russian films from film history came out during the Stalin period because he was a big believer in like creating his message through yeah. a, a visual element. He thought it was a medium that was important to get to the people. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why also in a lot of those... Which actually it is. Showcased. Yeah. Yeah. And like... That's why, uh, I don't know, the Russian history is all very much tied to what's going on in their political climate or mm-hmm. who is in charge or whatever. Definitely. And so it's it's all based up around different time periods. Like, there's the early period where it was all Gothkenko or whatever they're called, and that was like a government-run one, but then as soon as Stalin comes in charge, she's like, bang your chest, like, brother, motherland, let's go. Mm. And it's it just goes through phases. Yeah, so that's a pretty good dynamic between what we first originally thought you were thinking more i mean you've taken a lot more of these you took a class that was about russian history so you kind of got that whole uh like perspective already you probably it's probably a very obvious first perspective like wow this is a propaganda but then you look deeper versus i was just like this movie's kind of fucking boring and uh it looks like a propaganda film i can't relate to it but there's some cool stuff still see but even then knowing some of the background i i obviously can't relate to it either but it's, you know, um, one of the things that I kept noticing is very much, like you said, the early part of the film really drags on. Like, I found myself, like, 15 minutes into the film thinking I was already 45, almost done with it, you know? Yeah. It just kind of drags. And this is actually one thing that I was so curious about is, like, never once does it feel like a lot of it is very planned out. Like, the majority of the shots feel like it was just, like, Eisenstein with a camera on the ship, and he was just like, oh, that looks cool. 
Mm-hmm. Let's roll on that, point to another thing, roll on that. And then anytime they're like directing people, yeah, to some extent they're giving them some direction, but like think later on down the line, how many freaking people or extras are used in this? Like so it many. seems like the entire town of Odessa is I mean, even in the beginning, and even those first shots, there's a lot of there's a lot of wides with all of like a ton of soldiers or sailors, not soldiers. We're on a ship. Um <laughs> uh, with a ton of sailors. Uh, it's probably what close to like 30 to 40 sailors in like some of these scenes just all at once mm-hmm. kind of cramming places. So those actually are um, true sailors too. Yeah. So a lot of the people or extras that were called in on this are just friends or government officials or people that are soldiers. And actually for a lot of the townsfolk, they were from the, oh God. The town that they shot it in. No, it's, they were from a theater group, actually, okay. that uh, is how Eisenstein got his start into the creative arts. So he worked for the Prolicut Theater or something like that, and he actually got his start in entertainment um, during the 1917 revolution, and he was working as a soldier in, I believe, the Red Army, and he would just basically go on and book and create entertainment for a bunch of soldiers, and from that, he went to work at the Prolicut Theater, worked his way up until eventually he became a director over there. So for all the extras, he actually just called in a favor to his old, like, acting house and was just like, yo, y'all, come do me a solid. Come be in this. Uh, I need you to get shot in the face. I need you to, like, drop a baby down the stairs. Like, And I need this kid to get stomped on a bunch. Yeah, dude, some of the choices, man. Some of the choices. Weird. Um, so that, that whole thing about, like, the actual sailors on the ship, it seems like a very Russian way to make movies is you just conscript people that are actually do that and you're just like okay we're gonna like roll a camera and then you're in it <laughs> like not that you don't have a choice but it's kind of like we're doing this for the communist party if you don't do it you're against the communist party mm-hmm. feels that way oh it's very that way so. feels a little bit that way is it really i don't know i wasn't there yeah. feels that way though yeah you know you kind of feels like any of those old school films it's kind of like you're on you're walking the knife's edge with whatever you do mm-hmm. and this kind of goes similarly like i have feelings about that versus um i don't love state-controlled media i really I, d- I don't know anyone who really does no uh it kind of it it irks me because then the media has changed but yeah it's not it's not art for the sake of art it's mm-hmm. art for the sake of sending a message yeah um, and it also kind of goes along with the censorship, which this movie has some really interesting stuff about the censorship, which we can get into later. Okay. Or we can talk about now. It's up it's to kind you. Of, That's up to you. You're leading this discussion today, my guy. I think we get into it now because it's okay. really interesting. It's really interesting. Because um, then we can talk about the editing and finish it up there because then that makes, you know. Uh, so the censorship is really interesting. We haven't talked about it too much in any of our movies because there hasn't really been. We talk about a lot of American media. And the censorship that happens in American media is not by state, it's by its self-censorship. That's, they wanted to make sure that they weren't being told they can't do that. They decided to not do that because they didn't want to be told they couldn't do that. Uh, it's a very weird American idea. They're like, oh, we're not going to let you tell us no, we're just not going to do it. So you can't tell us no. It's really weird. Um, but in this movie specifically, uh, it was released in Russia with not very high accord. And there was, I read something, it could be wrong, but I read something in like a research paper that 
the numbers, like the box office numbers were reported like way inflated than they actually were to make it seem popular uh, because it wasn't. And then when it was released in like Germany and other parts of the world, it became popular. But then those other countries are not communist and we're like, this movie is propaganda and we don't like communism and we don't want mutinies on our own ships. So we're going to make it banned and yep. ban it and get rid of it. So like England banned it for, I didn't, I don't know if I wrote it down, but something close to like 80 years, it was banned. And then in 2004, I believe something in the early 2000s, it was finally lifted from a ban, um, which I think is kind of crazy. You don't really hear stuff often like that in the westernized world, but I mean, it's kind of weird. And uh, in the US, I couldn't find anywhere that it was like actually banned, but places in Pennsylvania wouldn't show it because they're like, I have the exact quote here. Okay, from yeah, what's up with Pennsylvania? Yeah, they had, uh, let me find it real quick. They they said they wouldn't show it because, I'm trying to find the exact quote. Somewhere in here. I believe it might have been under my additional talking point. Um, But the quote was, I can't find it. This is so, okay, there it is. Uh, so places in the U.S. wouldn't show it in their figures because, I quote, gives American sailors a blueprint as to how to conduct a mutiny, end quote. What? Yes. Our food is bad on the ship, so let's just, like, not, like... <laughs> it's the blueprint part that gets me, because I'm like, okay, even when you watch this film, the mutiny doesn't make sense. No, it's The like... title cards are walking you through of, like, mm -hmm. oh, so-and-so's upset, so now that he's getting with all his boys, and they're like, yeah, this ain't right, dog. Yeah, well, they the the whole reason why they mutinied was because like there's maggots in their meat. Because there was maggots in their meat, which is fair. Yeah, I would want to eat that. Yeah, that I wouldn't want to eat that. Uh, but then they weren't mutiny because the meat was bad. They were mutinying because they didn't want to eat the meat, so they ate other shit they could scavenge and find. And then their commanders like, "We're gonna kill you for not eating the food we made you." Yeah. And then that's why they mutinied because they didn't want to kill their brothers. That bro, those commanders are sus. Yeah. They wanted their meat eaten so bad. <laughs> their maggoty meat eaten, bro. Feed Chris. But no. Yeah. Oh my god. During the during the mutiny, when they bring all of the soldiers up to the front of the ship and they're about to like have the firing squad shoot at them, this is just one thing that I picked up that I want to know if it like was a part of the culture or like common practice back then. But they like line all the group up and then just put a bed sheet over them. I don't know about the bed sheet, but I I do know that like when you're being like shot upon a firing squad, you put a mask on so you can't see your face okay yeah yeah because it was like they it, just it, threw a bed sheet over this group yeah. of dudes and i was like it was like a big enough group that they were like we're not gonna put like individual masks we're just gonna go one big one i don't know yeah, i'm weird it was i don't know russian firing squads sorry wish yeah. i did yeah you know i'm uh, not really looking to yeah. to do a lot of research into that one no. to be honest let's roll it back to the censorship real quick uh because Interestingly enough, it was censored in Russia too. Yeah. Because it like wasn't Stalin enough yeah. for Stalin. Which is really weird because didn't his party make the movie? No, that was before him. So this is before him. This was just before him. Then when it finally coming back, like in the 50s, they're like, nope, fuck that. Yeah. That mm -hmm. that's what I was saying though. Is it uh it's different eras? It's, it's all different eras. So yeah. like literally this will happen so commonly, is like something from the early era. 
will go out and it'll be pushed and promoted so heavily as like a propaganda film and stuff like that. And like the government's pushing this and then boom, government switches. Okay, that's fucking censored. And we're going to roll out with a bunch of things that do the exact same concept, but avoid certain elements and basically just remake all of their films over and over and over. It was all yeah. that sounds like ridiculous, but if you look at American media, kind of same thing. We just make over the same movies over and over and over again. Oh, dude, especially right now at Disney, all the live action stuff now. I mean, I don't dislike it, but no, it's to watch. But I mean, God, yeah, I know. Who would do that? I don't know. I would never. Yeah, I'd never. Please hire me somebody. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, <laughs> I'd I'd never work on something that was being a remake. I would work on something that was being a remake. Um, yeah, so, uh, all right, what should we move on to now? I see a very interesting thing that says Eisenstein was possibly one of the first LGBTQ plus directors. Uh, yeah, actually. So I'm obviously not like the most qualified to talk upon this, but, uh, it's something interesting. Like I was taught it in school and we talked about it at length for a little while. And like, you can go online and find any sort of thing about this. Just look into, um, K Viva Mexico. So this was right after Eisenstein had left Russia, came to the U S to start making films over here. He and like this poet or playwright or whatever ended up going to, uh, Mexico city to start filming K Viva Mexico. Okay. I don't know what happened. A lot of details are like not really released, but basically like U.S. customs came in about the poet and broke into these quarters that the poet and Eisenstein were sharing. They found a bunch of like boudoir kind of photos of like, you know, each other. And it's not necessarily out there. And I believe if you go back in time and do some research, it actually, there's an interview with Eisenstein to where he claims he's asexual, but I also think that's, partly because of the time and the era in which he was living. So, I don't know. If you guys have your own take, if you want to do your own research, look into it a little bit, write the show, let us know what your thoughts on this topic are, because I think it's one that's kind of worth exploring. Yeah, I mean, that actually kind of goes a little bit with the censorship, is there's a lot of things that in the old industry could get you blacklisted for no real reason. Like, Yeah, and like uh, the K Viva Mexico, it was like 95% of the way shocked. And then they, they basically scrapped it and because of that, that whole fiasco. Because of that whole fiasco. And then I think the US used part of the video to use for like a tourism board or something like that. And they like over the next couple of decades, they like picked and chose different scenes or different things from that actual film stock to use in other instances. And I think someone out there might have pieced basically all of the shot footage together into what he was originally planning for that film. Interesting. Yeah. Along with that, this movie has been repieced and brought back together to its original form because of all the censorship. Yes. And that happened in about 2004, the final, like, actual, as far as they can tell, the original version was, like, pieced back together, right? Yeah, and I think now if you want to go and find that, I believe it's called the the Kino, Kino Restored version. Okay, so we might have not the Kino Restored version. I watched Kino Restored. I don't know which one I watched. I think I've seen... I think I've seen that when I was in school, but I can't remember. Okay. But the main gist is some of the things were left out. Mm-hmm. Some of the things uh, were changed. So like at the very beginning, there's a quote uh, from, who was the quote from? The original one? It was Volinsky something or something like that. I don't know. I didn't write it down. Probably should have. 
But then it was changed to a Stalin quote during Stalin's time because Stalin. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was other stuff that they left out. And I I can't, I probably should have done a little more research on this to figure out what exactly they left out. But they took out different parts. And then um, finally, much later, they came back in like the early 2000s and fully restored the movie to the original thing. And interestingly enough, that's a really cool thing that's happening now in like in the 90s to like now some really cool stuff was happening where we're just finding old movies that have been lost just like in the in storage just like in just in like old movie theaters like storage just like full movies that we thought were lost and are being like digitalized because we just found them yes somebody's fucking box under their desk in the middle of nothing and it i think that's really cool Dude, okay, sorry. This this just reminds me of uh, one thing that we actually watched in film school mm-hmm. was, so one of my professors, she was actually an archivist. So okay. that was her job, was like finding these old school film stocks, restoring them, digitizing them, all of that. She actually presented in class a series of like, I don't know what she would call them, but they were like old school documentary style, like 16 millimeter films of like some town in the Yukon that was like a mining or fishing town that was like absolutely a boom town, tons of movie theaters, all of this kind of stuff. And it was in the theaters that like when the town became run down, all of their film stock, all of their developed film was just left there. And it was actually buried like. And they just found a bunch of old movies they just because. A ton of this shit. Because when that boom town went bust, they just dipped. Yeah. Like, they just didn't give a shit. <laughs> That's correct. So then someone, like, literally is just walking around the Yukon, stumbles across, like, you know, a bunch shit out. ton of yeah. stuff just buried in the dirt. And they were like, you know what? I wonder what's on this. And then because of that, like, that's why film is kind of really interesting. And I always think of, like, especially historic films as kind of like stepping into a time machine. Like, you don't oh, yeah. know what, like, day-to-day life was back then. And it's like, when you step into an old film, it might not be the most interesting, but it's like... This is like, life was totally different and you get to kind of be involved in that. Just the same as like anyone would do with like making a period piece nowadays. Like they try to make it as accurate as they can and it's like mm-hmm. you're stepping back in time and it's yeah. awesome. I think, yeah, the stepping back into time thing is really, really cool. Especially when you can see something that was restored to its original version from censorship of countries or whatever reason. It's always really cool to see the original cuts, what the director wanted, because sometimes there's stuff to be learned about it. Sometimes it's just really cool just to like look back and see mm-hmm. what they what their original idea was. Um, and with this movie, that happened like big time. This yeah. was censored by like almost every country that it was released in. So it's really interesting. There's versions of this movie that people have seen that we might not have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's versions that people have seen that might not exist anymore. Um, and that's that's a cool thing that will probably never happen again in this day and age because digital, once you make it, it's kind of almost impossible to get rid of it. So especially when it's on the internet. Um, so that's something really interesting and actually really cool to like think about with these old film movies, especially from this time period when like the French, they literally burned every reel of this film they could find. Yeah, that's wild. Right, and then Germany did same kind of stuff with other movies, with Western movies, and with specifically Russian movies too, because Nazis and communists really hate each other. They're they're not gelling. They're not gelling. Um, so it's just really interesting to see that there could be a bunch of different versions of movies that don't exist, movies that don't exist anymore, and sometimes there might be one real 
in some random movie theater that got shut down 70 years ago. And it just gets found and then it's there. I don't know. I think that's really cool. That's fun to me. Dude, on that same note, like with the different censorships, people are going to be seeing this movie in like a different way. And like one thing I was really curious by the time I was like finishing up watching this film was how different would the film be without the the title cards? Like if it was just on the viewer to try and create or piece together the story just based off of just the shots themselves. Like if you're going to get lost and you're going to go on a whatever tangent you can when you're trying to piece together what it is. But I'm just like, how different do you think the watch would be without the inner title cards? You would definitely get lost a little bit, but I feel like you're trying to prod me in a certain direction and I might disagree with you on this. I feel like Eisenstein's theory on montage actually really helps this story stay on track and be told uh, easily. I don't know if that's what you're like alluding to or you're trying to bait me into something else. No, I'm not I'm not baiting you in any way. Uh, gaslighting me, Todd. You're ga- <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Uh, uh, no, I, I think this movie, you can actually follow it. You might not get everything, especially culturally different. Like we might not understand certain stuff. I still don't understand certain stuff in this movie that like title cards were even there for. And I'm just like, I don't understand what that's supposed to mean dude and some of the title cards were like really wordy and yeah i didn't have enough time don't be mad at me yeah i'm not the quickest reader (laughs) like i i missed a good bit of that there's a reason why i like movies and not books yeah but no i was bringing this up because um yeah i think the the montage really does help you follow the story it it helps you piece it together and like even though you're not going to get every minute detail of what's going on you're going to be able to piece together at least something close to what it should be and I, I just wanted to say, like, uh, at 12 Midnight, our editor, John Warder, also known as Biscuit Pancakes, he has his own YouTube channel, but he'll do basically these time watch or time lapse like movie watches where he like turns on some Netflix movie and watches it at like five to ten times the speed. And it's just him picking up on certain clips and seeing them all pieced together. And he creates what he thinks the story is just based off of that. That's and it's cool. kind of the same concept that like, OK, you can still tell a story without being in on every detail. Yeah. Um, that's one of the cool things about foreign media is you get to like try to understand what you're watching without fully understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, title cards in this day and age were very important. Like a lot of older movies like this, you would watch and you'd get lost without the title cards. Well, this was also like right at the same time as like the talkies mm-hmm. starting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, Eastern Europe was a little behind, like, Western Europe in, like, picking up on the audio uh, in movies. But I would say the same kind of era of movies, These, even though Western movies might be a little more advanced technically than uh, Eastern European movies, like, specifically Russian and, like, East German at this time. Um, well, I guess, actually, East German was a little bit later. They were, like, one of the latest to adapt audio into their movies. Um, but it's still, like... I feel like the montage, like, idea wouldn't have been as, like, quick to the scene if audio was picked up faster. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, there's a... So one of the things with, like... Like, everybody now knows what a montage is. Mm -hmm. Like, anyone and their mother has done it. You can see it. You recognize it. Even if you have no, like, no knowledge of, like, film techniques or editing techniques but you would know what a montage is just by seeing it but like back in that day that was fucking huge that was yeah. so relevant and like so groundbreaking that it was just like 
all right. And that's why, dude, there's so much lingo of them, like, basically sniffing their own farts, creating, like, the lingo for coming up with what a montage is. Like, there's so many different things or ways to say it. Like, it's a montage of attractions or you're building an image and it's the collision or conflict between multiple shots and all of that. And, like, in reality, it's just, like, yo, you're lumping a bunch of shit together because it goes together. Yeah. it's like, And it moves you a loss. Yeah. 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 Like, watch Rocky, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, montage. Fucking huge montage. Yeah. You can make a montage of every time we say montage. Although it wouldn't really bring you anywhere, so it wouldn't technically be a montage. At least not Eisenstinian. Not Eisenstinian. Eisen, Eisenstinian. Eisen... Dude, yeah, words are hard, man. Words are hard. I always want to say... Einstein? But yeah. it's Einstein. Yeah. Yeah. Just an extra letter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, I forgot what we were talking about. I need a montage to catch me back up. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> we saw enough of that in the film. I think it's about high time that we talk about the one thing that this film is actually known for. You're right. It's story. It's so good. Oh, no, you're talking about editing. Yeah, no, you're probably talking about editing. Well, not even that. Well, obviously, yeah. We've talked about editing a lot. Oh, but... you, mean, you mean the one specific? The the specific. Yeah. So, the scene where they're, like, talking about the meat and how it's maggot. No? No, 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 no. I'm talking about, about that. the one with, like, the wizard, uh, orthodox, Christian, not that guy? Dude, I no. love that guy, though. I'm not gonna lie. Dude, that is the I... one thing in the film that you're like, okay, this priest, wizard guy makes I... no sense, I but his understand. look is crazy. I, yeah. I also love how, like, during the mutiny, he's, like, pretending he's knocked out cold on and, the staircase. And never like, talk about him again. Yeah, it never comes back up. But no, what we're trying to talk about now is the Odessa Step sequence. Yep. Because it is literally the main thing that anyone will ever reference from this movie because it's the only point that people can remember. Yeah, it's the only point worth remembering, too. Yeah. Like, all the other stuff we were just talking about, funny, cool, haha. In, like, two weeks after I forget that I watched this movie, the only thing I'll remember is the Odessa Step sequence. Oh, yeah. That's it. Well, it's like, dude... Literally, I almost skipped straight pa- past that whole part of the film because I was just like, I know I everything that happens. Like, it's... But then why would you even watch that feels like three hours movie to not watch that part? Exactly. But also, for anyone at home that doesn't want to sit through the whole film, just go to YouTube, type in Odessa Steps. There's a 15-minute sequence that is literally the entire part, and you will understand every bit of it without having to sit through an hour-long movie. True. And you'll also um, find about a million videos breaking it down and telling you everything about it. Yeah, so we're not going to go super deep into it because, honestly, we we like to keep it fun and light, and also I feel like I've been doing a good bit of education for some of y'all throughout this, so I'm not going to bore you guys even more with talking about the Odessa Steps. It's just, it's the marquee. But you will be quizzed after about the Odessa Steps. So, yeah, how many steps are on the staircase? That'd be an interesting thing. I wonder how much of the staircase they actually shot on. Do you think they shot on all of it, or do you think they, like, only did, like, a small portion and, like, did it again? I think they did all of it, dude. Like, wh- like we were talking about earlier, it's like Eisenstein just kind of pointed his camera at a direction and was like, yeah. That's true. But no, I mean, even now, today, you can go and walk the Odessa steps. You can go and see where this film was actually... We actually oh. have... No, we haven't. I have God, dude, I would... I wish. Yeah? Get to be on the Black Sea for a little bit. Be That'd be cool. Freaking chilling. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe not right now. You take, like, a stroller and, like, go down the steps. Uh, no, but if you and I go, I'll, I'll ride in the stroller and you can push me down. Cool, cool. But yeah, let's not go for right, let's a back. couple of years, because it's a little... Yeah, it's a little hot right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's avoid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's actually talk. Let's, let's talk about it. 
Yeah. Instead of talking about everything else other than that, because we're like to fuck with everybody. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you start, but the general, you want to give a brief synopsis of the sequence? Let's do that. Let's do that. So okay. you want it or I'll do it? You got it. All right. So it starts um, with a bunch of people cheering on this battleship that was mutinied. And then kind of all of a sudden out of nowhere, there is a bunch of government soldiers uh, that just start walking down the steps and just like massacring people. It was like kind of random and out of nowhere. Dude, yeah, it feels very like yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, like they just come. Like I feel like it's never really explained either. No, there's never like, like a scene where they showcase like the ship reaching out to mainland of just like, yo, dudes, we we just had a mutiny and like it looks like all your civilians are like kind of about that. You guys want to do some? Or, yeah. Like, what's up? Um, no, so yeah, so it starts off slow and then starts picking up its speed with the edits faster and faster. And it's just a bunch of different shots of people running down the steps from these people, from these soldiers, uh, shooting down at them and basically massacring them. And as it continues on, it just has a bunch of different cuts. And it's just a really iconic moment of people freaking out, trying to escape a massacre and run down the steps. There's really not a lot of content to it. It's just kind of like, oh, the humanity moment. Um, yeah, but, but it does it really well. It does do it really well. And it, yeah. it also like... Like we've said, they've been hammering home montage throughout the whole film, but like that sequence really just goes to show like how it's supposed to emo invoke emotion in mm -hmm. the viewer. Because also like the rapid pace of the editing plus the the sound that's going along with it, like the score and everything like that, it's it's a little anxiety inducing. So it kind of like is one of the first moments to where a film is actually like we're doing this to create a reaction in the viewer, not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I could just be totally mentally, like, flipping this out. But there's no title cards in this sequence at all. No. Yeah, it's just 100% editing, and you understand everything that's happening. Yeah. Which is probably how this movie should have gone the whole time, and it just kind of skipped the title cards a little bit and just, like, dropped out a lot of it. But that's fine. But that's fine. Um, So... To break it down a little bit, we're not going to go fully into it, but to break it down, how it does this well is it starts off with longer wide shots of a whole bunch of people running down the stairs after this first initial action is created, and then it slowly builds that tension by ramping the speed of the edits. Right. Faster and faster and faster. Also, though, in... Regards to the long shots, it also does a good job of establishing the characters on the steps mm -hmm. itself. That's true. It also establishes where you are, too. Um, so it starts with that, and then as it gets going and going, it kind of starts to get more pointed at certain specific actions. Um, and how it does that is cutting from the wide to, to uh, closer-up shots of one or two specific characters. Then it kind of cuts back to wide, show you still all the actions happening, and then it kind of goes back. And then eventually it kind of just narrows down on those specific people, which helps you, as a viewer, be really like, wow, I'm invested in these people's story. They're running from something atrocious, but at the same time, everybody running kind of is causing more of a problem, too. Yeah. So it's like... Absolutely. It's it's, it's a, not a tearjerker, but it's close. <laughs> yeah, as close as like a Russian film to a foreign watcher could be. Yeah, as close as a old school silent film could get you to 
cry. I don't think I've ever been close to being emotional from an old film. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, uh, I don't like black and white films and they don't get me emotional. I don't know. I don't know. I, I will say like, I am a sucker for touchy moments in film or anything like that. Like I'm usually one of the first people to be on the verge of tears in a theater. Not going to lie. This film would never do it for me. Like not at all. It's just too long. (laughs) No, but like, for example, like you ever watch soul from Disney? Like the, the anime dude, I was balling. That's a good movie. I like it. It's fucking touching, man. Yeah. Um, so what else do you have to add about the SSIP sequence? I just, I don't want to like explain it all the way out. Yeah, I don't, I Nobody definitely don't want to flesh it all the way out. Like, obviously there's a couple of moments to where it's like hammering home some of the editing. Like it shows the close up of the lady with the glasses. Mm-hmm. And then the next time it shows her, her glasses are fucking chewed up and she has yeah. like a bullet through her wh- wherever the glasses would be. Yeah. Um, And then yeah. on the same regard, the only moment that like really like annoys me is the mother who has the stroller. When she gets shot... She pushes it. Well, yes, she pushes it, which is like, <laughs> hey, like, yeah, you're dying and all, but, like, some awareness, please. Um, But no. I just want to drop part of that, but yeah. She gets shot, and immediately it goes to a close-up of, like, her belt, and she's, like, reaching at her stomach, and you see her, like, kind of, like, reach her fingers in to, like, pop the blood bag, basically. So then it pulls back out, and then the next time it goes to her, it is just gushing blood. And it's like, okay... Practical effects obviously aren't great then, but it's like disguise it a little more. You yeah. got all of these different cuts going on. Could have just done an extra one. Mm-hmm. And after watching us, he wins again more recently. I always thought that the big moment was the stroller going down the steps, which I think it is for a lot of people. It's really the the kid, the kid, yeah, yeah, the kid. Um, and the stroller is like almost like a secondary after everything's done already. It's like oh. Okay, now we go again. Yeah, <laughs> like, cause I like, think, wow. I think the small kid is like the the driving factor behind all of it because mm-hmm. it gives you that sort of tension and it gives you all of the different intermediary shots between it, and then it also builds and leads into like the mother carrying him back up to the stairs, and then obviously it transitions to the lady with the stroller. Yeah. All in all, the Odessa step sequence is very famous for a whole lot of reasons. I honestly don't love talking about it because there's just a lot there's a lot of details that are going on to it and like yeah. there are a ton of people out there that would love to sit down and break down every little detail about it and it's, it's you know it's good it's worth the watch but is that really our style yeah. i don't know i think to wrap it up a little bit if you're ready to i'm very ready i would say to wrap this up do i suggest you to watch this film yes but you could get just as much out of it if you just watch the Odessa steps. Yeah, absolutely. I think overall for anyone wanting to learn or if you're interested in film history, which I hope you are, it's definitely worth the watch. Definitely doesn't need to be watched multiple, multiple times. Like watching this for through this episode, this was my sixth time watching it. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's dude. a lot. And it's it's not like there's that much going on. So it's, you know... Pick up what you can from your first watch. If you're really struggling with it, go in and find like a YouTube clip of some specific sequence that you're really trying to break down. Other than that, though, check it out the one time. It's an influential film. It was obviously rated really highly back in the day besides all of the censorship. 
Yeah, that was weird to me. Yeah, it was rated really highly, but it was banned in a lot of places. It was like the the people who could actually watch it were like, yeah, this is good. And then you know who actually watched it was the fuck is the film scholars, the people that are all like, well, there's film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are the people that we kind of are, but we don't want to be. A little bit, yeah. yeah a little we're bit. yeah, we're a little bit of critics. We're mostly just fans of cinema, and we like to yeah. talk about it and maybe we like shed some light to areas y'all don't know. Yeah, we like to make movies. We like to watch movies. Make them sometimes. Yeah. Well, we like to make commercials and we like to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's more on the. That's, that's more on the nose. Oh, it's more on the nose. Yeah. So. All in all, definitely check this film out if you haven't seen it. It's worth the watch only one time, though. Yeah. He's... If you really feel like you need a moment, stop between one of the acts and then come back to it a little later. You're not going to miss too much. Yeah, also, this film is broken up by parts. Mm -hmm. So, like, honestly, just watch a part at a time. Yeah. Just take the whole day. Watch 20 minutes at a time. Yeah. It'll it'll still be the exact same thing. You're not going to miss much. But anyways, for this episode of Theater Cleaners, I've been Todd beside me. I've been Dom. And next time we're going to be talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Definitely a change from what we were talking about today. Uh, if you've never seen it, highly recommend going out and watching it before you tune into the next episode because it's a fun one. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to talk about maybe spoil some things. We usually spoil everything. Yeah, almost always. Yeah. But anyways, this has been Theater Cleaners. Thank you for tuning in and uh, catch you later. See you later, brothers.